We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. So, 10 Questions is back. Check us out on Twitter at The10Questions and 10 Questions with Adam Zwar on Facebook. I agonized over that name. I hope you had a great new year. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Jane Kennedy, writer, performer, and producer of The Late Show, Frontline, The Panel, The Castle, and The Dish. She met her working dog collaborators, Tom Gleisner, Santo Chilaro, and Rob Sitch, when they were doing the Degeneration Breakfast show on radio. She was the newsreader designated to their time slot and soon found herself part of the team. I was a young and very wet behind the ears reporter when I interviewed Rob Sitch on the set of Frontline in 1997 and got to see the first ever scene between Jane and Steve Bisley in their roles as Brooke Vandenberg and Graham Prowse, surely one of the great double acts in Australian television history. Jane is now a mother of five, an author of cookbooks and a regular on Have You Been Paying Attention? She's fantastic in this episode of 10 Questions and as usual I start by asking her when she was most happy. Everybody, I'm sure, must pause before this because uh, the big question is what is happiness? And um, I found I find that I have to reflect on when I was happy, and maybe that means I didn't know I was happy at the time. Yeah. So it's it's a weird thing. It's like, oh yeah, that was a good time, and I can go back to my childhood where I just had a really idyllic, daggy, normal childhood, mm. and I had no problems. No worries. I think that's a, a real difference. When you're a kid, your biggest worry is, am I going to be home in time to watch the Brady Bunch? You know, <laughs> or what am I going to eat next? Yeah. Mind you, that hasn't changed much for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it really is a, I guess, yes, childhood um, is an aspect of happiness. Um, the PC answer is when I had my children. <clears throat> Um, and it is, of course, but uh, we unexpectedly <clears throat> had more children than we planned on having, and um, that would be due to the fact that we had three kids and then thought, I don't know why, let's have four, and it turned out to be four and five. Wow. And that day <sighs> could have been kind of happy and tragic. Um, I, I was shocked, that's for sure, but I think there was such enthusiasm from Rob um, I don't know if that was naivety, actually, from Rob. It, it kind of was a happy day because life couldn't get more bizarre mm. on that day. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as a rule, I would say I'm a pretty positive person. I'm, I'm pretty – I'd say my friends would say I'm glass half full. Mm. And I would say right now, yep, life's pretty good. I've got – Everyone healthy, everyone's happy, we're on holidays, there's yeah. drinks to be drank and food to be consumed. <laughs> That's right. The next question is who Jane would like to apologise to and why. She gave me a great answer, but I woke up to find a text message from her at 6.30am the next morning saying she had an even better answer and could we re-record. And can I just say to future interviewees, if you've got a better answer, don't hesitate to tell me and we'll re-record. Jane, who would you like to apologise to? They're actually people I don't know who they are, but um, it's for anyone who was driving down Birdwood Street, Baldwin, 
in the early 70s. And we, we were, um, my sister and I were technically latchkey kids. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with that term, Adam. What, what were you? La- latchkey kids. Latch that key. was um, a term um, when there was this really crazy phenomenon in the 70s where both your parents worked. Yeah. <laughs> and, and mum went to help dad out um, at his public relations agency. So um, from the age of about 12, I was sort of coming home from school and opening up the house and putting the dinner on and waiting till mum and dad got home at 6.30, my sister and I. And we were very responsible yeah. to a point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so kids who had the key um, to let themselves in were known as latchkey kids, oh. uh, which sounds very, um, you know, uh, island in the dark ages. But yeah, it yeah. Child labour at all. We loved it. We just came home from school and we ate and we watched TV and we did no homework, so it was unreal. <laughs> but um, we also got very bored and sometimes, I don't know why, we had a big white fence we would just get a hose and just very subtly sprinkle a bit of water as people would pass, walk past. And they'd just feel a drop on their head and they'd look up, they wouldn't see anything and just keep walking. And we did it so subtly that they didn't realise that we were literally just about to, you know, squirt people as they walked past. We thought it was the biggest cack and were pretty much wetting our pants laughing behind the fence. No one could see us. But the worst thing that we ended up doing was pretending to be dead on the road. And we did this a lot. We would wait and see if there was a car coming at the top of the street and we would go out pretty much in the middle of the road and lie down and look like we'd been hit by a car. And you got extra points if a car slowed down and you won if somebody got out of the car. And we didn't think it through very well, and we thought it was hilarious. But cars, of course, stopped because there was a child. And all of us, my, my girlfriend, Marianne, up the road, my sister and I, we had very dramatic-looking poses on the road. And people were very distressed when they would pull up. But we would get the fight of us and bolt up and run away. So I imagine if my kids did that, and if I had a woman knock on the door and say, I've just caught your child acting dead on the road... P.S. We could have run them over, by the way, as well. I would be horrified. So That's for all the crank calls I also did that took up about five years of my life and for the pranks that we did in our neighbourhood because we were bored, I also apologise. But no explosives were used at, <laughs> at any time in my childhood. This is a, That it really did set you up for a career in comedy. Well, I don't know. It's a bit macabre and I don't think I have a black sense of humour, but we just thought, oh, my God, how hilarious. Imagine driving along and seeing a, a dead child on the road. Wouldn't that be a cat? Yeah, no. That Didn't is... go down well when it was down. I love it. That's hilarious. Really? That is, I reckon that's Sorry, comedy that gold. Sorry, so awful. No, I love it. <laughs> now we return to the original interview. The next question, Jane, is what is your greatest regret? I don't think I have any. I just don't think I put regrets in mm. my world. I, and I, I think it can eat you up. I think it's a, I don't think it's a healthy trait to take on board. Mm. It's a bit of a lament and I just think no. And I, maybe that's because I feel I'm quite a positive person and I, 
if if I have even an inkling of regret, I'll somehow turn it around and, you know, make lemons into lemonade. That's I great. I try to at least. How, yeah. How, did, was that a conscious decision for you or was it something that came naturally? No. No. I I just, I think there's some strange part of my brain that just thinks, oh, no, that'll work out. Or if it can't work that way, let's try it that way. Yeah. It's, I think it's been a childhood thing, um, and it manifests itself in strange ways. So um, I'm become the world's, um, <laughs> no, not the world, the the suburb I live in, number one female handywoman. <laughs> and like, oh. I can't stand when something breaks or breaks down, and I have to rely on somebody else to fix it. I can't stand that. Mm. So I. YouTube, and I have a toolbox, and I fix things, and it's the most satisfying thing ever. That's fantastic. So it's a strange segue to what we're talking about. No, but it's, it's part of being a positive. It's part of my. No, I can fix that. Stuff that, and it's, there's very few things that can defeat me. It, the only things that will defeat me if it involves getting on a high ladder, or electrical something electrical. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why. I did rewire something the other day, but that was stupid. I got caught out. Wow. Doing that. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. You rewired something. Okay. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned I your child. I did have the main power turned off at the time. Oh, good. And I did have one of the children watching me stand on a chair, rewiring a globe and a light switch, but that was probably a bit silly. Which you YouTube beforehand? Or was that just. No, I didn't even YouTube that one. I just pulled the thing apart, examined it, and then put it back together and worked oh, out what was wrong. That's really good. And you mentioned your childhood before. Is it, were your parents quite positive as well? Yes, very much. And always a um, my dad's a really positive guy. Mum's much more pragmatic, and so is my sister. Um, so that balanced out the household. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be living in la-la land. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, well, your sister certainly knows how to fix things as well. She does know how to fix things. <laughs> I've worked with her. She's a very hands-on person, have you? Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yes, as a production designer, art director, she was always a great artist and she was always really good at building stuff as well. So mm. I don't know where that came from, though. It wasn't like mum sat us down and she wasn't very crafty either, <laughs> mum. So it was despite of her, probably. Um. The next question is, what would you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Oh. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm really not a fit person. <laughs> and I see the importance more and more of people getting fit um, the older they get. Mm. Um, I'm not about to run a marathon, that's for sure, because that doesn't interest me, but... I do like the idea of, of keeping in shape and um, having longevity and enjoying it. I just haven't got that gene yet that's mm. kicked in. So um, I'm trying to encourage that. Every year I say this, though, Adam, it's really pathetic. I'm not going to say anything like I want to run a half marathon or a marathon or anything like that. But, you know, I might get into yoga or something a bit more zen yep. with my body. But yep. otherwise, no, I'm, I feel pretty... Pretty um, satisfied 
I'm happy so far with how things have gone and I'm, you know, just uh, now it's sort of I, I stand back and I sort of do get a bit of pride through how, through the kids and how they go. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, I didn't think that would happen and that happened in small, bizarre ways, so it's good. What, what ages are they? I've got two nine-year-olds, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old. Right, so you, you've done the hard yards in, <laughs> a little bit and now, done you're, that. now you're getting a bit of now, pride. Yeah. Now I can, yes. But apparently everyone tells me it just gets harder and harder as they're teenagers and I'm starting to feel that, oh, my God, that language, that, oh, yeah. that's so embarrassing. Mum, do not, I swear to God, if you look at those girls, I will kill you. Oh, I'm wow. starting to get a bit of that talk from my daughter. <laughs> wow. To me, it just sounds like half the house is talking like Jemay. To yes. be honest, it's like everything. Oh my god! And all this. <laughs> I'm not allowed to sing. I'm not allowed to sing any song that is on any current FM station that's vaguely cool. They nearly died because I bought the Justin Bieber on iTunes, and I've been playing that over summer. And it's just, oh my god, who do you think you are? That is so tragic. But they, I, I said, don't you get it? Now I'm only going to play it more and turn yeah. it up really loud. Good. Own it. So I actually went to ATDC with my 13-year-old son, and he was really cool about that, and he thought that was cool. I, I actually wore the Angus tie and a black jacket, half uh-huh. school girl, I went, and that was awesome. You can't go wrong with ACDC. You just, cannot go wrong. Just, just goes, goes through, you know, celebrated by every generation. You can't generation. go wrong. <laughs> and then three days later, we all went to Taylor Swift. So that's how we rock, you know. That's good. <laughs> apparently, it's a good one. Apparently, it's a good concert. It was great. She's amazing, amazing um, entertainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next question is: Who's the person who most influenced you, and how? Well, um, I'm really up for saying my parents. I love it when people say that because it's mm. interesting to me. It means. Oh, so how, what was your upbringing like? Um, my upbringing was full of music and records and dad. He was um, huge on uh, Beatles and um, Herb Elbert and the Tijuana Brass and he was he had a jazz band and all that and so I loved that. Um, and my mum, I, I actually got glandular fever when I was in about year seven and I was bedridden for about six months and... I was devastated. <laughs> and mum said, well, I'll tell you what you can do every day for six months. There's something called the midday movie. And think of this as an education in film. So every day for six months, there was a guy called Ivan Hutchinson and he used to introduce yes. a classic film from the 40s, 20s, you know, even 50s. And I watched a movie every day for six months. And it really changed my life. So I have to thank Mum for that when I think about that. Um, all the Betty Davis movies, um, all the musicals, everything. And so, therefore, I just had this love of the movie scene and I went and studied at RMIT and all that, you know. That's fantastic. So I guess that's it, yeah. Oh, that, perfect. Um, so your mum and Ivan Hutchinson. There you go. We ended up working with and becoming pals with years later a real gentleman yeah. he was also um, a music conductor and composer as well so that's why I really 
listened to him when he introduced a musical and he talked about it and about the score and I ended up studying music at school as well. So, yeah, Ivan Hutchinson um, and Dylan Ray Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> Jane and I then moved the conversation from influences to hard work and she says that if you're going to have a career in show business, it requires an immense amount of time and effort and many people entering the caper aren't necessarily prepared for it. I remember, you know, you hear about Michael Jordan who just still practiced yes. every, like the eight hours or something a day when he was at his peak. And even like, you know, out of my five kids, I've got one musical one. Okay. left because I gave them all a chance to learn instrument and no one's practicing. So I go, hmm. So it's a bigger pain in the ass to be a parent with kids playing music because you have to be on their back the whole time and supervise it. Yeah. So I've got one left who's one of the nine-year-old twins. And I said, mate, are you up for this? Because I'll be tiger mum on this piano caper for you. But you have to be really serious about it. <laughs> he looked a bit terrified, actually. He goes, what do you mean, Tiger Mum? I said, I'm going to be on your back every day, and it's going to be really annoying, and I'm going to be really tough on you. And I was oh, okay. So I was, and he had a bit of a soiree. They do a bit of a performance at the end of the year, and I really got that kid to practice. And it paid off in the end. Yeah. <laughs> he performed it really well, and he felt really good. And I said, there you go. But that wasn't easy, was it? And he goes, no, it wasn't. That mm. was really hard work. I said, welcome to show <laughs> <laughs> But that's the thing. I mean, honestly, if people think you can wing it, you know, I've had disappointment here when people haven't made the cut for a basketball team or they haven't made the mm. cut in athletics. And I said, courage, you've got to train. Yeah. Oh, I said, even the fast kids, they're training harder than anyone. Yes. So I guess yeah. there you go. Um, it's annoying, but you've got to put the hard yards in. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, Jane, when was the last time you cried and why? Oh, probably yesterday. Adam, I cry about <laughs> 10 times a day. So, honestly, I cry over everything. Well, I'll tell you what it was. Yesterday, I saw a promo on Channel 9 for, it was probably David Attenberg's um, uh, Wild African Animal Babies. Oh and God. it was baby orangutans and uh, tiger cubs, and honestly, that will set me off. Yeah. So it's really no big deal for me to cry. Um, I cry when I laugh, and I cry when I'm sad. I think I've cried during the episode of Family Feud one. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it can That's be. That's good. Yeah. What can I say? I'm a crier. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your current state of mind? Oh, okay. Um, it's quite healthy and it's quite happy and um, positive and uh, I like to be on top of things. Um, there's a lot of cogs in my world and um, have to do with work, have to do with school and kids and I feel I'm a bit on top of things. If I'm disorganised, I'm shattered. Yeah, right. And um, I'm a list person. I'm a note taker. I'm a super uber organised chick. Yeah. Um, rely on my phone. I have alerts going off 10 times a day. And I'm a bit of a neat freak too, so I don't have to get things a sense of order. And because and I'm on top of that, I've got about 18 loads of washing to do. That's the only thing bothering me. So, first <laughs> problem. 
<laughs> that's good. That's Otherwise, good. Otherwise, it's okay. That's good. And have you ever not been organised? Yes, um, and and that's simply because I've had to prioritise um, mental health. Yeah. Uh, and and that's having um, little babies and and work and things like that. And I've had to go. No, mm. you can't do everything. And it's okay to say no. Um, and just being on top of things more is difficult. So you've got to prioritise. And that's sometimes when I go, I think I need to sleep for a month. Yes. So you can just put those things aside. As, as I get older, I, I, I vaguely get a bit more sensible in that department. <laughs> I know, isn't it? Take, talking of practice, <laughs> life takes practice. Um, it does, yeah. What, okay, the next question is, what do you consider your greatest achievement? Mm. Okay, I think one of them is um, maintaining and enjoying long-term friendships. Mm. And last year, um, I had a big birthday. Yes, I turned 30. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's just add 20 years to that. And I had always said to some girlfriends of mine from school, I want to be one of those women when I'm 50 sitting outside a cafe, a really cliched posh cafe in Paris on my 50th birthday, smoking and drinking. And they've gone, that sounds awesome. I promise you I'll do that. I said, really? Yeah. And they bloody did. And we went. Yeah. And there's just the best photo of four of us sitting at a cafe. Our partners aren't there with us yet or they're out somewhere else. And there's four of us. And we've got basically alpine lights on the table and <laughs> glasses of champagne and sunglasses on. And we're at the front table at, you know, Le Deux, Mago, one of those wanky cafes in Paris, just killing ourselves laughing. Perfect. And that... Is, I thought that was an amazing achievement and being able to then have a couple of friends that are maybe only, say, as opposed to 45 years old in my life, um, 20 years old, bring them together as well who are also away with us. Yeah. And I just looked around at one stage and just thought, this is just awesome. I love it. Mm, mm. Mm. So I think that's a real achievement and and. Because you work in the world of showbiz or film and television, which is the only job I've ever known, because we're in Melbourne, or you need to be anywhere in Australia, it's so easy, real, no big deal. It's just another job like other people have. Yeah. That's why it's good. Mm. You can, you know. It is. I would hate to think what it would be like if, you know, I know there's a journey coming up for you, but... I just don't know if I could have had the same world in Hollywood or anywhere else in Europe or something like that. We're just Australians, just so bloody grounded and good. Yeah. Whenever I hear anything about Kanye West or what he's done or what he said <laughs> lately, I go, you know what? What I love about Australia, I love the tall poppy syndrome because that would never have, <laughs> that would never be allowed to happen. It wouldn't. But I, what I would like to have thought that would happen though is that he could still be achieve what he wants to achieve mm. but without the banging on factor because we would laugh at him. I mean, yeah. for all we know, Peter Andre might be, you know, a Kanye West and we, you know, laugh him out of Australia. <laughs> There's another one I have to apologise to. 
we did a clip of Peter Andre. Yeah, I remember Sorry, that. Peter. Yes. <laughs> but you know, you know, the tall poppy syndrome is interesting, but we're still so tough. We're still so tough. Oh, we we're just a bit too to tough. Just yeah. <laughs> too tough, but it, I'm glad it does exist in one sense as well. Yeah. Because you know what? We're, we're, we do the self, we're, we're self-imposing tall poppyists. Yeah. So, so we're a self-deprecating mob, mm. really, as a rule. Uh, and so we self-regulate. Did you ever? There was this. There's this playwright called Lally Katz, and um, she did. A, oh yeah. She did a play. She's American, and she she yeah. she came to Australia when she was a teenager, and she wrote in her diary that she loved her mum, she loved her dad, she loved her brother, and she loved herself, and she loves herself. And one day she wrote oh. that in the diary. The diary got stolen. The next day she went to school. And no one would talk to her. And oh and uh, she finally went to her best friend and said, why, why is everyone ignoring me? And the best friend said, because you wrote in your diary that you love yourself. And you're not allowed to do that in Australia. <laughs> she realised you're not allowed to do that in Australia. You but love yourself. it does yourself. sound weird, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, we're trying to all be empowering and love yourself and love yourself to give yourself. It is a bit hard, isn't it? But I know yeah. it's a poor thing. Yeah, so it was like a real an introduction to the whole Australian ethos. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Australia. <laughs> um, the second last question: Who would you want on your side in a battle, and why? Um, well, look, I'd have to say Rob Fitch yeah, not, in a battle. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> I would. I would really love to have him on my side. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a great strategist, um, strategist. Um, he he has a mind for that. So um, I think if I had to go to war, well, basically he's been directing for thirty years. So a, a director's a general in effect. Mm. Um, oh yeah, I'd, I'd basically hand the reins over. <laughs> Take it away, <laughs> Tell me when it's over and I'll cook you something for dinner. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, he'd, be, he'd be very reliable on that, on that front. That's great. Um, and the last question is mm-hmm. what would you like your last words to be? Um, the finest Wharfie's laugh in history. <laughs> I can't laugh ladylike and I never have so um, I used to oh, I got dubbed oh how's your wharfies laugh oh. no offence to the wharfies by the way <laughs> you know. I've never heard but that it's expression pretty hearty haven't you oh god what's me and my old man just saying oh how's the wharfies laugh coming out of this steady <laughs> <laughs> on he's up <laughs> But, That's... yeah, no, I'm quite happy to have a big old cackle at the laugh. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. 